love is the greatest. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, imperfectly even. <laughs> like, pronunciation, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then... I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Good. God bless you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're just creatures of earth trying to understand heavenly things. Lord, please come and help us. Please send your spirit to us to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. And yes, Father, whatever's just from the preacher, we pray the wind will blow it away, but we won't be able to forget what you say. In the name of Jesus, amen. First slide, please. Yes, happy birthday, folks. Let's never forget the church was born by the breath of the Holy Spirit. He is the gift of our Father. This is a detail from El Greco's famous painting, Pentecost. Could I have the two lights at the top out, please? So you can see the slides a little better. Next one, please. The Lord said, didn't he, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Because all our power comes from the Holy Spirit. Without him, we can't do anything. This is especially true of being his witnesses, Jesus said, whether it's local, a bit further away, or to the ends of the earth. I guess the mission guy would immediately grab that. Next, please. We're talking about bringing a bit of heaven down to earth. Now, the Corinthian church was an uncommonly gifted one. It certainly had its problems, as you've been reading. And although the church was rich in spiritual gifts, it hadn't always handled them well. So Paul tries to reorientate them towards what's really important in this chapter, something called love, holy love. And he does it with beautiful, lyrical language. But he's quite capable of being assertive too, as we'll see. This is an exercise in seeing the bigger picture, remembering that we are supposed to be becoming more like the heart of God our Father. You remember the Apostle John, who was one of the people who knew Jesus best, saying again and again, little children, let us love one another, for love is of God. Next, please. You know this passage, don't you? Pretty well word for word. After all, you've heard it read at countless weddings. That's not inappropriate. In marriage, you will need love that's somewhat like this to keep going. Eros, that sexual love, is a beautiful gift from our Father in the heavens. But it won't be enough. Ask any married person here. You're going to need patience, kindness, suppression of your ego, long-suffering, warmth, when you feel like it and when you don't. In a word, agape, the outgoing benevolence to someone else, which seeks the good of that person and it does not expect things back. But this passage is actually about the local church. It's not really about marriage. Jesus told us to love each other, and this wasn't a throwaway suggestion. It was a command. It was his dying wish. Paul tells the Corinthians how to go about it. Next, please. Corinth looked rather like this. I'll show you in a minute how we know. It was a multicultural, multi-language, prosperous, strong place full of idols. The big building in the middle is the Temple of Apollo, and all around it were dozens of other temples to various Greek and Roman gods. Next, please. And this is what it looks like today. A few columns of Apollo's temple remain, and the rest is just ruins. It's halfway up a mountain, and you can just see in the top right corner the seaport there. Next, please. And you can see even from the ruins, it was pretty impressive. It must have been quite a place to be. All gone now. But when Paul wrote, there was a vibrant church there. Paul loves them dearly, but he takes no prisoners in this chapter. Next one, please. You good at languages? You know, many languages were swirling around Corinth. Greek, Latin, Persian, Egyptian, Phoenician, lots of them. To be a polyglot was a fairly normal thing 
Us English people struggle with that, don't we? Even if English people are basically mongrels. And Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men, next one please, and there's more to it than that, because in ancient Greece, rhetoric, logic, the ability to persuade, to hold a crowd under your spell, that was a big deal. That was considered really great. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, when some people were talking about Paul from Corinth, they said, oh, his speech is contemptible. You know, he's quite good when he writes, but when he speaks, it's rubbish. Okay. Next one, please. And then, given by the Spirit, the Corinthian church was blessed with ecstatic speech and heavenly language. None of these things is wrong. Not in the slightest, but they are not enough in God's church. Paul says, if you are destitute of holy love, you're not much. Next, please. Your white noise. A banging gong, a clanging cymbal. Quite good for getting attention, but there's no content in it, is there? Without the love of God in your heart. Well, Paul, that should go down like a lead balloon in Corinth, shouldn't it? You've just rubbished several things that are really important to them. Well, no, he's, he, he hasn't. These things aren't even slightly wrong. If God's given you eloquence and good speaking skills and orderly thoughts and appeal, well, God bless you. Use them for him. Are you a polyglot? Can you flip from language to language? I certainly can't. Liz is better at languages than I am. Do you have the gift of tongues? I don't either. Paul said he wanted all of them to have it, but he did recognize that it wasn't a universal gift. He says you must use it with love in your heart to God. Next, please. You see, all these things are about us, or can easily become that way, can't they? And God's thoughts are not our thoughts. What this world values, the ability to assert yourself, to say things, to move people in your direction, what the world values and what God values are two pretty different things. And things that big up your ego are not things that God is impressed with. He is impressed with humble hearts who love him and his people and who use their gifts for him and in dependence on, and in dependence on him. Do you remember David saying, look up at the night sky, the work of God's fingers. What is man that you bother with him? And yet God does. He's truly marvelous. Next, please. Now really let me put my head on the chopping block. Are you a Bible scholar? Are you learned in theology? Are you good at intuition, at prophecy? about understanding mysteries. Paul says, however learned you are, what is your heart like? However spiritually sensitive and prophetic you are, do you love God and his people dearly? Richard Sibbs, a, a Puritan, said, we are as we love, not as we know. That's pretty good. Now look, I'm not dissing theology or prophecy or Bible colleges, or intuition, or spirituality. All these things have big places in the kingdom of God. Next, please. 
Next, please. I just like that picture somehow. Next one. Oh, dear. In your face. Theology without love. Nothing. We've got to bring our learning, our degrees, our spiritual gifts of prophecy and put them at the feet of Jesus in worship and ask him to help us to pick them up and use them out of love for his people. Next one, please. Can I just say, I think this is important for us Bible-believing Christians, all right? If your learning makes you proud and puffed up, it's not doing you much good. Sorry. Please study your Bibles, but do it on your knees, either literally or metaphorically. Let your knowledge lead you to worship and not to think a huge amount of yourself. And if your learning makes you look down on your brothers and sisters in Christ, something's badly wrong. You claim to be knowledgeable about this God who loves these people dearly, and you don't. We must put our learning at the foot of Christ and worship him. You could say that Satan's a good theologian. It's true, he's very clever as well. But he'll never love God or his people. We shouldn't be like him even a tiny bit. Next, please. All together. Ah. Then there's generosity. The giving of your things and yourself to others. Uh, Literally, as if I parcel myself out to the poor. Couldn't say anything bad about that. And next, please. And you've got to remember that martyrdom was something huge in the early church. The early church revered martyrs as super saints. And in fact, Corinth was a place where you could easily get yourself killed for being a Christian. Scores of them did. We know the names of some. There was one delightful, holy Christian leader called Quadratus, who died in the Decian persecution of 251. This sort of thing was no joke. But Paul even confronts martyrdom and says, love to God and his people in your heart is more important. Don't deify the martyrs. Note their love to God and men and emulate it. Next. Next. (laughs) Come on, Mark. Doesn't God love it when we remember the poor? The destitute, the unwanted, the foreigner, the marginalized? Yes, he does. He does. You've only got to read the Old Testament to see exactly how much. But you need to do it out of a heart full of love for him. Do you remember the story the Lord told of the widow's might? All these rich people chucking their money into the treasury, trying to make a big noise as they did so. And Jesus said, when you do it, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. If you give to God or to your brethren and you make a fuss of yourself doing it, the Lord Jesus said, you've already had the thanks you're going to get. Doing good to others won't do any to you if you don't have love in your heart towards your brothers and sisters and towards God because God knows your heart and when he sees you give out of love that's something 
to him it really is. Next, please. Are you a brother or a sister of great faith? Most congregations seem to have one or two brothers or sisters who have a particular gift of faith in God. And believe me, we need them. They're the sort of people who, when the rest of the church is vacillating or fearful of following God in some way, will stand up and say, come on, my brothers and sisters. God's able. We can do this if we walk with him. And we must take God at his word and just follow. A Joshua, a Caleb, a Deborah. Wonderful stuff. But the Bible says even if you're a Caleb, this gift of great faith, useful as it is, doesn't amount to a lot without God's love burning in your heart. Next, please. So what is this essential godly love like then? Paul tells us two things about it. It's patient and it's kind. And then he gives a list of what it isn't. But in a few words, it's like God's love. So first of all, we say it's patient. The word is macrothymia. In other words, long anger, literally. You know, it's said about God quite often, isn't it? He is slow to get angry. He really is. And so should we be. And John Chrysostom notes that in that local dialect, that was always used of a person, not a circumstance. It's patience with each other. Is, God loves, is, God loves, <laughs> is God's love patient? Ask any of you. And you would say, oh, it certainly is. In my experience, he puts up with us in our good days and our terrible days. He doesn't give up. He doesn't throw us away and start with somebody else. He's faithful. He's got stickability. He's got the ability to bear with us. And God says, that's holy love. That's how I want you to love. I want you to love with patience, stickability. Keep going. And then he says, love is kind. Again, can I ask you, is God's love kind to you? Ask any of you and you say, sure is. God has seen me at my worst and he loved me. I don't have to pretend in his presence because I'm his child. John Henry Newman, who I don't often quote, had a lovely line in a hymn which said, and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. And that's true. What does he do? Well, when men blaspheme him, he reaches over and puts bread in their mouths. He makes his rain fall on the good and the bad, doesn't he? Be like that, Paul says. Kindness is an essential part of holiness. Next. What gets in the way? In a word, us. And our egos. We're upset when other people do a bit better than us. We get irritated and angry when we think someone's put one over on us. We might even dishonor them in return. We'll certainly keep mental records, won't we? And Paul says, come on. Holy love isn't like that. It's not how holy love behaves. Being boastful and proud 
isn't how holy love behaves either. If you see something bad happen to someone who's annoyed you, you know the German word schadenfreude? It means you enjoy someone else's misfortune. Holy love isn't like that. And when you're promoted and honoured, we're very tempted to become boastful and proud, aren't we? And Paul says, that isn't how holy love behaves, because if you're full of yourself, how can you be full of God? And the world needs to see you to be full of God and the love of God. So prioritise holy love in your life. And indeed, you could go further and say, holy love protects you from these things. If you've got the love of God burning in your heart, there isn't much room for your ego. There isn't much room for keeping grudges. There isn't much room for many things. Rejoice at someone else's success. Believe better for people and pray for them. Next, please. It's someone else, you've probably not heard of this lady. Uh, she was part of the 19th century holiness movement as a preacher and a writer. She didn't get everything right, but she got this right. If our hearts are full of our own wretched I am, we'll have no ears to hear his glorious, soul-satisfying I am. We need God in our hearts, not just ourselves. So let God decide if you're popular or not. If he gifts you, look up to him. Ask him, how do I use this, Lord? How can I use it to really love my brothers and sisters? If he gives you office in the church, hold out your hand to him and say, Lord, help me to use this for you. Next one. We're doing well, guys. Not much longer. What does love do? Paul, sorry, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, it doesn't blaze abroad all the shortcomings of your brothers and sisters. Somebody defined gossip as the art of confessing other people's sins. That's not holy love. Holy love trusts. It believes in the grace of God for that person. It's not asking you to be credulous or stupid but it's asking you to love from the heart. Love can dwell with wisdom quite well. It hopes, it sees what could be in a brother or sister, and it'll put you on your knees then for prayer, won't it? Because if you love someone, you, you pray for them. Intercession is love on its knees. Holy love perseveres, not because it's got confidence that that person will persevere, but because the grace of God perseveres. And hasn't finished with them and won't finish even with you either till you get to glory. Next one. Love doesn't come to an end. In all these spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, discernment, all of them, they're all passing away. All of them. And when they are no more, holy love will take us into heaven. And in the meantime, love and the unity that comes from it is the mark that God gave Christians to wear before the world. People should look at us and say, follower of Jesus. Look, they love each other. They love God. The spiritual gifts are wonderful little bits of heaven. Yes, they are. 
But there is still so much despite them that we don't know. Next, please. Talk about through a glass darkly. Let's talk about sunglasses, shall we? Can you see as well with them? Well, no, not really. You put them on so you can bear the brightness, don't you? There will be things that you won't see with them on. And Paul says in heaven it's like taking your sunglasses off. Things that you saw dimly by candlelight, you'll be able to see in brilliant relief. You'll be able to see intensely. And earth's best beauty will be like milk and water compared to what we're going to see there. Now we just see a bit. We're going to see so much more. So be humble. Your view is partial. Next, please. And he talks about growing up. Babies have a famously small attention span, don't they? And they don't understand what's going on round about them. As they grow and develop, they do understand some more, as we do spiritually as we grow. But one day we're going to reach maturity in heaven. Do you know what? Our earthly understanding will look almost childish by comparison. We're not fully grown yet. We will be. Until then, everything is incomplete. There will be enigmas, mysteries, things we don't understand. But you can trust and love God and his people even when you can't understand. Next, please. And Paul says our knowledge of ourselves now is limited. Like the older lady looking into a mirror but seeing her younger self. You must have heard about the one, the princess who looked into the mirror and the mirror shattered. And she said, that's just your opinion. Our views of ourselves in this world are limited too, aren't they? Be it the distortion caused by a flawed mirror or it's only a fragment. And one day our view of ourselves too will be perfect and complete. No distortion, no wistful thinking, no partialness. And we'll see the Lord like that too. That's incredible. Until then, we need to be humble because we're only going to see in part this should help us to love our brothers and sisters. And love like faith can go beyond what you can see. Nearly there. Next, please. Paul says one day we're going to see our Saviour and Lord like he really is. We will know him. No partialness, no distortion, nothing. The Bible says that we shall know him as well as he knows us. That is simply astonishing. God wants you to know that you're fully known and you know what? Fully loved in the Lord Jesus. That's what holy love is like. Nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear. Just Jesus. Next one, please. There's a new world coming and it's full of holy love. It is the light, the love, the presence of the Lord. And for a Christian, dying is putting out the candle at the rise of a new dawn. And what you see now dimly by the candle, you will see with wonderful clarity in glory. Heavenly love starts here in this world, in the community of God's people. And it keeps growing until we're hand in hand with each other in glory. Let's pray, shall we? Father, please.
take these words to us. Help us to be open-hearted in our relations with each other and, Lord, with you. Give us, Lord, such a love that people will really, really notice, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And thank you all for your patience. <laughs>